0: Hello and welcome to the Free American Voice from Midwestern Citizen. This month's episode will be on Afghanistan. My name is Raj Asher. I'm a senior editor at Midwestern Citizen and a senior at the University of Michigan.
1: Hi everyone, my name is George Stregis. I am a junior at The Ohio State University studying philosophy, political science and economics as well as modern Greek. And on the topic of Afghanistan, I've published two articles with the Midwestern citizen, one analyzing the 2001 authorization for use of military force, also known as the AUMF. And then a second article analyzing the second authorization for use of military force published in 2002.
2: Hi there, I'm Jack Hurd. I'm a senior at The Ohio State University. I study political science and economics, and I've written two articles uh, for Midwestern citizen on Afghanistan. The first called, Afghanistan is a new Vietnam, why leaving now is the best choice. And the second called, tearing off the Band-Aid in Afghanistan, chaos was inevitable. Um, So jumping into uh, sort of a background of the conflict of Afghanistan um, being a good place to start, uh, George, do you want to talk a little bit about the authorization for use of military force and how that sort of affected our purview in Afghanistan?
1: Absolutely. So the authorization for use of military force... uh, published in 2001, followed directly after the 9-11 attacks that occurred on American soil. The authorization was really a direct response to what the president felt, President Bush felt was a need for action from these attacks. And it, it reads, it's really short. So it reads that the president is authorized to use all necessary and appropriate force against those nations, organizations, or persons he determines planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11, 2001, or harbored such organizations. So really, the 2001 AMF is a direct call to action against the terrorism that took place in the United States, and it gave the president authorization to use the military as he saw fit in order to combat these attacks. So the 2001 AUMF granted the president the ability to take military action domestically and abroad to do what he saw fit to counter the terrorist attacks that happened.
2: Yeah, I think the sort of the operative word uh, with the AUMFs is broad. They're written um, very sort of non-specifically gives the president a lot of leeway in deciding um, what qualifies someone as having um, supported or been related to the September 11th attacks. So um, yeah, kind of gives him a broad brush to paint with when he's actually in Afghanistan. So I'm gonna go over just sort of a, a brief timeline of the uh, military involvement in Afghanistan, um, just a number in terms of the number of troops who are president. Um, in our, when we initially invaded, um, It was only our initial operations were only about 10,000 troops strong and this slowly ratcheted up uh, throughout the Bush administration although throughout that entire administration the war in Iraq remained the priority and uh, troop numbers were lower in Afghanistan than there. But uh, sort of around the beginning of the Obama administration the fighting got more intense and the troop level picked up. It eventually peaked in uh, 2011 at over 100,000 soldiers U.S. soldiers um, before sort of after Osama bin Laden had been assassinated it slowly declined and since about 2015 it's been an, around a holding pattern of uh, around 10,000 troops. Um, Obama after um, the assassination of Osama bin Laden uh, sort of signaled that he would withdraw or draw significantly draw down our presence but by the end of his term he had sort of reevaluated and was of the opinion that, it would be necessary to keep at least five to ten thousand troops in country to uh, suppress the Taliban and stop them from uh, retaking the country. I
1: think something
2: uh, that's really important to be
1: added in there is that the authorization, like the mechanism in which all the presidents since two thousand one have deployed troops to Afghanistan, Afghanistan, has been through the two thousand one AMF even though the document specifically states it's to counter the terrorist attacks that happened on 9-11, the 2001 AMF is being used to just counter terrorism in general in the Middle East. There's been no, there's been no need to create specific ties to the 9-11 attacks anymore. And while that is not what the document explicitly states, uh, presidents still get away with it and Congress really hasn't done much to stop it.
2: Yes, that's a very good point. It's uh, There's definitely a little bit of, um, yeah, you know, 20 years on from the attacks, you wonder how many of these militants that we fight there were even alive or, or well, you know, adults or anything around the time of that attack. So, yeah, um, we've definitely sort of shifted our our adversaries several times over um, this entire entire conflict. Um, So public support for this war though, for pretty much the past 10 years since Osama bin Laden was assassinated has been steadily declining. Um, The last year that uh, public opinion was above 50% or not above 50%, but was greater than um, those who opposed the war was 2009. And then since then, it's uh, pretty dramatically, you know, dropped or dropped off. And in, in uh, March 2012, just, you know, uh, less than a year after uh, Osama bin Laden was assassinated, 69% of uh, the U.S. public thought that the government was not doing the right thing by fighting the war in Afghanistan. So this sort of pulls us into the era of the last 10 years, sort of the post-Osama bin Laden um, Afghanistan war, where public support has been pretty low and presidents have sort of I mean, more or less like altogether had the same opinion, at least on paper, that they want to get our troops out. And so uh, when it comes to actually pulling the political muscle to do that, it really took um, until Trump's presidency when he um, signed an agreement with the Taliban in Doha uh, regarding a United States troop withdrawal. Um, This agreement was originally intended to uh, end in April 2020, I believe, Um, so slightly into Joe Biden's term, because it was near the end of Trump's. But um, this agreement was not held uh, to that exact date because of, um, well, sort of a a couple things. There were um, casualties of American servicemen, which sort of shook the faith of some of the American partners, and then... um, non-collaboration with the Afghan government, which uh, the Taliban refused to really negotiate with at all. So um, you kind of, so you going into the Biden presidency where the withdrawal actually occurs, we have sort of a precedent of, um, at least on paper, the president approving of withdrawal from Afghanistan. So that sort of leads us into where we are now, or well, where we were a few months ago with Joe Biden's withdrawal. And to add on to the
1: general public in the United States, not approving of our involvement in Afghanistan anymore. That was also the same perception that Joe Biden shared. Well before his presidency, he was not in favor of keeping our troops in Afghanistan anymore. He was very public about that, probably more public than any other elected official about it. He, was, he made it very clear that he felt there was no need to keep our troops in Afghanistan anymore. So that was a pretty strong foreshadow to his presidency being the one to withdraw the troops.
0: Yeah, yeah I think that's that's really important. I think also it comes after um, President Obama was also pretty outspoken um, for a while during his presidency that he wanted the troops out. Um, but then he kind of had to go back on that um, kind, kind of the idea of getting the troops out, um, probably because of what his um, military intelligence was telling him. And then but I think Biden has been the only one um, after kind of all these presidents have said that they're going to get get the troops out um, to to actually do it. And so um, with kind of what happened with Biden, um, I believe uh, he promised to get the troops out by September 2021. Um, He he announced that earlier in 2021, I want to say around March of that year. And then. What ended up happening is following this announcement, uh, the Taliban um, kind of just took over many parts of the country. Um, They they were on an offensive as the U.S. troops were pulling out and really kind of took over faster than the Biden administration had expected, um, which led to, uh, in, in August 2021, a final withdrawal that, that drew a lot of kind of attention from the media and and criticism as well.
2: Yeah, certainly. And that's kind of the, the media climate that we, uh, that was around just a month or two ago, Um, sort of, it pretty much dominated the news cycle um, of heavy coverage and criticism of um, the withdrawal. Most of it kind of couched in these terms of having an objection to like, the logistical aspects of it, how it actually went, while sort of ignoring the, um, you know, longstanding precedent in the American public that this is a very unpopular war um, that a lot of people wanted us to get out of. So this kind of brings us into um, the actual analysis of the withdrawal, sort of getting into, you know, people's different um, opinions here. There are a number of different, um, you know, takes or opinions that people have on this. I think that my personal view on this uh, is kind of that give uh, is that it was it was the right move. Um, I think that a lot of people are not avoiding the sunk cost fallacy, um, which would basically say that um, you know a very common argument you hear anti-withdrawal is to think of um, like humanitarian aspects in um, in Afghanistan the women and girls that will likely suffer under Taliban rule, and just sort of the general repression of, you know, more Western democratic ideals that have sort of been transplanted there over the past couple of decades. And um, it also, uh, you know, there's also the argument that we didn't accomplish any of our military objectives there. So, you know, people are saying we just left too early. But I think you can't really have these, these sorts of arguments in a foreign policy sense without looking at the alternative of, you know, if we had stayed there. And, you know, it was, it's a very costly war. We've lost 2,500, or well, not quite, but almost 2,500 soldiers and Department of Defense personnel. If you think about the fact that um, military technology in terms of life-saving equipment and um, sort of the risk tolerance that military units have for um, casualties and operations have all grown much, uh, like, stronger over the years, meaning that you know, a battle that might have had 10 casualties in World War II might only have, you know, three or two or three four were fought today. So my point is that this war is a lot costlier than it might appear hearing that headline number um, that kind of pales in comparison to some of these other huge wars we've fought. Yeah, so something
1: I think that's really important that Jack just brought up is people, especially anti-withdrawal people, are going to claim We didn't meet our military goals in Afghanistan before leaving. And I think that begs the question of what really was our goal being there. So in the first 10 years, our our goal was to, was counterterrorism efforts, was to dismantle the group that did the 9-11 attacks. And in 2011, when Osama bin Laden was assassinated, that was achieved. Um, Al-Qaeda became practically dormant. And our main goal was reached, but we maintained our involvement in the country. And I truly feel there was never a clear objective of what we were doing there, like doing there from then on out. Um, A lot of people say we're trying to support the Afghan government, uh, create a democratic society like we have in the United States. And no clear jumps or goals or progress was made towards that. In the next ten years, leading us to the status quo, and I think if we want to talk about like, well, what did we leave? Um, we don't really have to imagine what the future was because I think the future was what we've been doing for the last ten years. No progress was made, and there was really no one
2: pushing any progress. Certainly, and and among you know the goals of establishing a you know a democratic government the government we established was rife with corruption, had practically no popular support from local populace at all. So, you know, it's already, we were already sort of milling around strategically for the past, you know, decade or two since Osama bin Laden had been um, assassinated. Yeah, I certainly, certainly agree with that. And um, yeah, so just another like sort of argument that sometimes is used to cut against the withdrawal is that our credibility Uh, was hurt um, by withdrawing, sort of abandoning our commitment to our allies, and that that will make us like a less attractive strategic partner around the world. But I think this sort of cuts two ways because, you know, credibility isn't just about um, seeing your cause through till the very end. It's also about what your cause is in the first place, you know. And um, I think that sort of doubling down on, um, or not doubling down, but cutting our losses in Afghanistan and, you know, using those resources to refocus on, you know, other strategic areas that the U S military has probably just had to take a back, uh, a step back in over the past 20 years. I think that really will probably honestly help our international standing and our uh, just general ability to like build alliances. Cause I don't think a, a whole lot of our partners were really all too pleased with the fact that, you know, we've been there for 20 years accomplishing nothing.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think also, the fact that these costs to the US military, I think there's a difference when we're kind of protecting our own like domestic safety versus um, protecting the Afghan people. I think there's a difference in the government's responsibility to their own people versus um, the people of Afghanistan. and And I think While, yes, it's terrible that what's happened there and and what's happened without US troops involved in Afghanistan, um, I I think also having these costs of US military lives um, in kind of supporting a government that's maybe not ever going to be able to stand on its own, which kind of we saw it kind of collapse within months after the US left. kind of makes that, I guess, Biden not falling into that sunk cost fallacy trap um, um, kind, kind of admirable. And I think it's also something that you don't see much in, in politics. A lot of times politics is seen as the place where um, either politicians or congresspeople, presidents, um, a lot of times reference the past as a reason to stay involved whether it be in, in in foreign policy or or anything else really, um, so so I, I think that sunk cost fallacy is is a very strong argument. But um, I think moving on from that, I think with the human rights issues that that we see now in Afghanistan, um, kind of with forced marriages for women, um, the lack of educational opportunities for women, I think there's more that the U.S. and other countries need to do that, that's maybe not military um, action, but that, that can, that needs to be done to kind of remedy the situation there.
2: Yeah, so this is obviously probably sort of the toughest, you know, sort of moral issue of this whole thing, because on one hand, we have a war that most American people would not regard as necessarily a just war at this point. Um, but the consequences of, um retreating that have real, you know, real human costs, this sort of just raises the question of what our obligations as a country are, um, you know, as one that's at war, what, are, what uh, sort of things does this country fight for? And I mean, I'm personally of the opinion that, um, you know, the human rights of people in other countries is not something that the U.S. should unilaterally insert itself into without exception. Yeah,
1: I think it's even more important to take a step back and be like, what more could the United States have done? For the past 10 years, they've been over there trying to help the Afghan government get on their feet. We didn't pull out 100,000 troops and go cool turkey on the Afghan government. Slowly and slowly over the past decade, the troops have been pulled out trying to really mitigate the impacts of the United States leaving Afghanistan. And It seems pretty obvious that no matter what was going to happen and what the United States did with their physical presence in the country, it wasn't going to work. I don't see an alternative situation where us staying longer was going to make this situation any better. It felt pretty inevitable. So it seems like the only plausible way for the United States to help at this point is to help them with like international policy to help them with money and humanitarian efforts and to try to help the afghan government have some sort of standing internationally with the rest of the united states allies but outside of that and giving money to the country it felt inevitable like there was nothing that physical presence in the country was going to help
2: that's a really great point george
0: yeah and i think also that kind of question of um the US's responsibility to to the human rights of uh, people around the world is something that's kind of at the core of a lot of foreign policy issues um, that that the US is involved in today. Since um, kind of as being a world leader, um, a lot of times the international community kind of expects the US to be the one to kind of step in to to protect human rights. in countries where 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 people are being oppressed, um, and and I I also do wonder what that um what maybe pulling out of Afghanistan signals um not not so much to to our allies but but also to um maybe some other world powers. I mean, does it potentially signal that um th- there's a stage for space for another world power such as china or russia to to get more involved um with foreign countries i guess
2: yeah i mean that's a that's a good argument i think you know it comes down to um you know when it comes to our sort of obligation or lack thereof or whatever your opinion is on it our 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 responsibility to protect the rights of foreign citizens and other countries Um, you know, that's kind of a vacuum that you might not want, like, China filling, depending on your values and the values that they would maybe um, fight in favor of. Um, so it, you know, it is really kind of a fraud issue. And you can go through history, you know, every there conflicts that we get involved with for either entirely or partially humanitarian reasons, you know, like Bosnia or World War II even, you know. Um, And then there are others that go by throughout history, like Rwanda, where we more or less don't do anything. And I don't know, I think it's really hard to um, like evaluate these things, anything, uh, except when you evaluate them after the fact. And I think in this case, it was a mistake. It didn't really, really, our, our 20 years of involvement have resulted in no permanent change. Um, but I mean, I think you can you can look at other, other instances throughout history and, you know, we made the right choice by getting involved. Um, so, I mean, I, that's not really a very satisfying answer, but, you know, I think it just kind of goes to show that um, getting involved for these sorts of reasons, um, well, I mean, we didn't get involved for these sorts of reasons, but having these reasons become the uh, your motivation for staying in a country can maybe be a sign that you've uh, your like primary objectives have um, failed and you're sort of grasping at straws to justify your presence.
1: I think that's pretty interesting as well because I feel as if the primary objective, was fulfilled in 2011 when Osama bin Laden was Osama bin Laden was assassinated and Al Qaeda became dormant. Like, that was the primary objective. So I almost wonder the logic and reasoning behind military leaders and behind the president on keeping troops there in the first place, and also, like, despite the fact that they didn't even have the legal backing, like. There's a misinterpretation of an authorization that was passed on a whim a day after the gravest terrorist attacks ever on U.S. soil is now being misinterpreted to keep troops in a foreign country for over a decade. It, it, I really wonder how it ever happened, like how no one said anything. And I think there was just still a wave of nationalism and a wave of wanting to combat terrorism that allow the president to keep troops there and should that even have ever happened in the first place is probably the question we should be asking ourselves right now
2: yeah i think you you make um a really good point there with well when you say that our objectives were accomplished with assassinating osama bin laden i sort of like agree i half agree half disagree with that in that our objectives um, of, like, the war on terror, I guess, broadly, that was probably, like, our number, like, public enemy number one, you know, like, we got the guy that that did the thing, but when you think about the fact that, like, he wasn't even in Afghanistan, hadn't even been for years, probably, it's almost like... Um, you know, and our intelligence must have known that for at least some time before we assassinated him. And we knew that for the entire 10 years after we killed him, we were still there that he wasn't even there. It is almost like, like, at what point? um, How do you even separate the like Afghanistan conflict and the hunt for bin Laden? Because at some point, I feel like they kind of diverged into two different things. Um, And that's where I think, just sort of these um, justifications based on like, human rights and, um, I don't know, nation building are just sort of imported. You know, it's like one day we woke up and our main reason for being there wasn't there. So we had to invent practically a whole new host of reasons why we could, you know, stay there longer.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's also the risk that's that's run when, when we have these kind of prolonged military conflicts. And, and I think it, it, what we saw in Afghanistan is that the government we're trying to support kind of almost gets a little complacent with with U.S. involvement there, um, and who knows exactly when when that point was? Um, and, and it creates like a dependency on the U.S., which I, I don't think is kind of healthy for future future foreign relations.
2: No, especially not when your entire strategy is practically, you know, a new age version of Vietnamization. You know, your whole strategy is. Just, is giving these guys legs to stand on and you let them, you never wean them off the bottle or 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 you just pretend you do, but you know, it's not really working.
0: Yeah. So I, like after this kind of discussion of of the analysis of like the benefits and, and kind of costs of withdrawing, um, let's kind of turn to like some of the failures that we saw like kind of with, with the withdrawal. I mean, in In the news coverage, it was kind of painted as a very negative thing, a lot lot in part due to kind of the imagery we saw with um, people flooding the airport, trying to escape the country, and also just with how quickly the Taliban took over the country. I think the Biden administration didn't expect that they would take it even within the year um, following withdrawal. They thought it would be there would be a possibility that one, the Afghan government stays in power. Or, or it would take years for the Taliban to take over. And, and I think the military officials were just kind of way off in that calculation.
1: Yeah, to say the execution was poor may even be an understatement. Um, first of all, the fact that 13 American lives were lost in the execution of leaving the country, that that's a poor execution in itself. That's something that at all costs should have tried to have been avoided. Um, everyone saw the news coverage. It was pure chaos in Afghanistan, specifically at the airport where a lot of the evacuation was taking place. And like you just brought up Raj, um, U.S. military personnel was extremely off in how much control the Taliban had, how quickly they would come to try to take over. It, it felt like it really took days. like. It was so quick that before U.S. the U.S. military leaders could even blink, the Taliban claimed they had control of, I think now they say, 85 percent of the country. So truly, I believe the right decision, but poor execution. Um, I don't know if I could exactly say how they could have executed better, but it needed to be more thought out. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, I think the most alarming thing about the the withdrawal was just the speed with which the Taliban took the country. It was, if you want to draw parallels to Vietnam, this was like a, a tenth or less than that of the time it took the Viet Cong to uh, take over, the North Vietnamese army and the Viet Cong to take over uh, South Vietnam after the Americans left. There was, you know, initially a two-year period of, um, after which the American military had almost entirely left where, um, you know, the VC and the North Vietnamese lay sort of dormant. But once they uh, started sort of kicking it into gear, it took them like a couple months to rush to Saigon and take it. This was like a matter of days from when, um, you know, the first US troops started getting uh, pulled out. So I think that, um, but one parallel I sort of want to draw. And I think that it's important to think What, like, how could this have gone better? And the fact that there are no good answers to this question sort of makes me think about the actual withdrawal from Saigon with like helicopters taking people off the roofs of the US embassy. And, you know, Gerald Ford isn't remembered for much, but he's remembered for getting us, well, him and even Nixon to an extent, I remember for getting us out of Vietnam, not for the sort of disastrous PR way in which it happened. And that withdrawal spawned a, a humanitarian crisis that was one of the worst of the decade, the the like millions of displaced peoples that were, you know, just sort of floating aimlessly in, you know, uh, Southeastern Asia and the South China Sea and stuff like to to like diminish the struggles that these people are going through is, is not my intention at all. But to say that, you know, I think there is a little bit of something going on with, um, uh, you know, the the media sort of wanting to make this last in people's minds as, as a negative thing. Um, just in gen- just like the the positive effects of withdrawing have pretty much convinced like most Americans, you know, most Americans were fully on board with it. And yet, you know, we are sort of bombarded with um, not really criticism of the withdrawal in general, because if it was criticism of the withdrawal, it would have to specify what specifically was wrong about it or offer solutions to how it could have gone better. Most of it was really pretty at a base level, just why are we withdrawing, you know, and using sort of the images of chaos as sort of like a something to hold up to say we should never have done this. So I don't know. I think that, like, from a counterfactual perspective, I just don't know how much better this really could have gone because, you know, we must have known because there are accounts of anyone that served in Afghanistan saying that the Afghan National Army was, like, such a poor fighting force, not capable of holding on to the country. So I find it almost hard to believe that intelligence didn't expect the Taliban to take over this quickly. You know, I don't see how with our immense you know resources and capabilities, how we didn't know that this would happen. So I don't know. I think that um, it's all it might be an example of um, you know poor planning by the military or a desire by military leaders to sort of pass the buck onto political leaders and sort of let what happens happens. And then, you know, sort of let the outrage machine do its thing or whatever, and um, let the chips lay where they fall. And, you know, to this day, most people don't really blame our military leaders for the withdrawal, when in both the Trump and Biden administration, they were in back rooms telling these guys, don't withdraw. This is a terrible idea. So, I mean, they've had their opinions, but they've also known for over a year and a half that it was the will of the American people and the executive to withdraw. So I think to some extent the the sloppiness of it should lay at their feet for, you know, not preparing adequately. I also wonder,
1: um, while we began to lose our physical presence in the country slowly and slowly over the past decade, I wonder how that affected intelligence in the country. Given that we only had a few thousand troops left in Afghanistan when the evacuation took place, I wonder if this just lack of physical presence led to a lack of intelligence that allowed U.S. military personnel to really undermine the capabilities of the Taliban.
2: That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's also definitely possible.
0: Yeah. And so so I think with that being said, and, and Jack, you kind of brought it up with, with Ford and Nixon. Um, I think it's gonna be interesting. I mean, we've already saw like in the short term, the effects on, on Biden's kind of approval weren't, weren't great. He, he did experience a decline in approval following um, like the pullout from Afghanistan, but, but also, it, that, which is also interesting because I think it's a lot of it's due to the media coverage um, because the war was already unpopular, but he experienced a pretty significant decline in approval rating. But I think it'll be interesting to see if um, in the in the kind of next election and, and just kind of moving forward um, with kind of the d- diminished media coverage on Afghanistan we see now, um, if he's going to recover from this.
2: You know, I think that um, I think he will. I think, you know, like I said, Gerald Ford's most popular action in presidency. The drawing from Vietnam at the time, it probably looked just as bad, if not worse than this. So I think I think time will sort of heal over that wound and people will remember that, you know, what I agree with this guy when he made this decision. I wanted to get out.
1: Yeah, I think there's still a a lot of the story to be written. What happens in Afghanistan over the next few years in regards to Taliban control will have a big say on how this is painted for the rest of history on how people view biden's presidency and this decision i think it's important to remember that this wasn't wow it was definitely his stance it wasn't necessarily his decision president obama played a huge role in getting rid of troops president trump also wanted to evacuate the troops this was really an idea shared by america as a whole like we stated earlier the, the population was really in favor of getting out of Afghanistan. This was really a bipartisan idea. It wasn't necessarily shared by the left or the right. And I definitely think public IP or public opinion has changed simply because of the execution. If America, if those thirteen American lives weren't lost in the evacuation, I think the I think Biden's approval rating would be vastly different, especially in regards to this incident. I think lots of the picture would already be painted for the rest of history, and that people favor this, President Biden got it done, end of story, what the Taliban does would matter less. But now that the public perception has shifted, I think the future in Afghanistan, what the Taliban does will have an impact on how this is looked at for the rest of history.
0: Yeah, and I think I think it's important. I guess that that's a great way to kind of turn to our last part of our discussion today, which is kind of looking ahead at, at what what's going on in Afghanistan. And so I mean, I know the New York Times recently published an article talking about how um, former U.S. allies or spies in Afghanistan that that um, are are now kind of turning to to join ISIS K um, as protection from the Taliban, um, which is definitely not something you wanna see if, if you're the American government. Um, and then there's also kind of the issue of, of whether the U.S. should and the international community should recognize um, the Taliban government as a legitimate a legitimate government since, I mean, in the past we haven't kind of recognized them as a legitimate force. And I mean, I guess what, what's changed on their end that, that makes us, puts us in a position to where we should recognize them.
2: Um, Yeah, so I mean, this is this is sort of the part where, um, you know, it's tough, it's tough to predict the future, obviously, but um, I mean, I think that as far as recognizing Taliban, we've negotiated with them under terms that more or less assumed they would take over the country or that 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 was at least a possibility That's sort of like baked into the assumptions of these agreements that we made um, to withdraw troops. And, um, I think if you want to have a chance of using non-military methods to like, uh, you know, fight for human rights and stuff in Afghanistan, then you probably need to acknowledge them as legitimate and try to set up some sort of infrastructure that, um, you know, can, can like do the best that we can now that we're not there. Um, I know that, um, there, right now, the, the government and the Taliban government is, you know, kind of asking the world for help, like foreign aid and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's not like easy for a government, even if they're broadly popular, to just come in and, you know, take over the administration of an entire country. So, I don't know. I think there's room to... Um, you know, not have like a, we don't want to need a friendly relationship with the people that harbored Al Qaeda, obviously. But, you know, I think that um, you have to change some things when you leave when you end your occupation of a foreign country.
1: I think that it's going to be very hard for the United States, as well as any other country, to recognize Taliban control as legitimate, especially a legitimate government right now first on the basis of how they're gaining control, they're gaining control in an unconstitutional way. They're gaining control in a way where their own citizens' perception of what is right and wrong doesn't matter to them. It's purely a strong hand. And to recognize them as legitimate would be to like, enable them to have like diplomats and enable giving people giving them aid and lots of other things that are very dangerous to give to a regime that is strong arming control in a country and gaining it in an unconstitutional way whether the benefits of recognizing them as legitimate or positive or negative probably won't even be on the debate table just because of the way in which they're acting and gaining control
2: yeah i think it's uh, another another thing you make some really good points there too i want to um mentioned a poll that um, polled Americans' opinions on the withdrawal. And they um, they said 54% said it was the right decision. Over 42 said it was the wrong. But 69% of people say the US mostly failed in achieving its goals in Afghanistan, as well as uh, the plurality of people rating the Biden administration's job of handling the situation as poor. Um, these polls also showed that a majority of Americans do not support um, a settlement, an official like agreement with the Taliban, which I assume you could probably construe to them also not supporting the recognition of the Taliban as a legitimate government. And um, I guess um, I, you make some really good points, George. And I guess I probably hadn't really thought that all the way through. But um, I think in terms of sort of the power vacuum, um I guess my opinion would just be that there's really no one else equipped to um, step into a leadership role. Certainly not the government that we set up that was just opposed. But yeah, I certainly agree. It's a fraught issue to try to um, give legitimacy to uh, you know a regime that yeah is is authoritarian and oppressive of its own people.
0: I'm just worried that some point down the line. Um depending on how how the situation unfolds, we could get to a point where we're faced with the decision on whether to kind of recognize the Taliban as legitimate and help them out, or have a group maybe like ISIS-K take over the country. Um, since with the Taliban kind of in this weaker position, it does um, present the opportunity for um, ISIS-K or any other kind of group to to take over take over that country and and that um i think would also just complicate the humanitarian issues that that we're seeing right now
1: yeah i think that begs the question what would the united states do first recognize the taliban as a legitimate form of government or re-involve themselves in the country that's a great question i think taking a step back now and letting some, some of the dust settle in Afghanistan and seeing what the next few months, maybe next few years hold, will be the basis for the United States decision. But I think there's a solid chance, to say the least, that the United States would rather continue to fight a war where there's really no way to win, a war where there's not a great goal, before they would recognize the Taliban as legitimate.
2: I think you that's a really good point. I also think uh factoring into that I don't know if Biden would be the one to do it necessarily. So I think that you're right in that it might be like a few year period or you know he will after the dust settles and you know people sort of um reset their their media consumption minds. But I mean like that that is a, a very good point. I think it's um both sort of undesirable like picking the lesser of two evils or whatever, the, the, the better of two bad options. But um, that's certainly a possibility. And that's certainly a possibility. And, you know, you've seen people talking about it since the withdrawal, um, kind of commentary on whether our interests would be served by further military action down the line. And as, it, and as this situation either gets worse or gets better, that, that definitely remains a possibility. I think
0: that's kind of a great way, uh, place to conclude our discussion today. Um, I want to thank both of you, Jordan and Jack, for joining me to talk about this important issue, which I think, as time has gone on, hasn't gotten as much coverage as it did uh, during the withdrawal, and I think is going to be really important um, the next few years um, to pay attention to what's kind of going on in Afghanistan. Um, So I encourage you to check out both George and Jack's articles on MidwesternCitizen.com, as well as um, our articles. We're going to be having some new articles published December 1st. Um, And thank you for listening and uh, subscribe to the podcast.